Hey, what's up? It's Nick. We got a good episode this week. James and I sit down, catch up about what we've been up to, and James has a special announcement, so make sure you stick around for that. Also, the topic of the week is how our design process has changed. And of course, you all know the deal. Give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Spotify has stars now too. Uh, So if you haven't done that, go do that. Uh, Give us a like on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Tell your friends about us. Spread the good word about Matter Details. We really appreciate it. And yeah, let's hear that amazing intro by Kyushu the Kid. Details. I'm Nick. And I'm James. And we're two designers in the big city. <laughs> Sweating the small stuff. <laughs> Got the radiator on hot today. We're <laughs> dripping in here. <laughs> Heck yeah. Oh, man. It's been a, a, a pretty quick week, James. I feel like I just saw you the other day. <laughs> Already sick of me. You Unbelievable. Got some, you got some pretty big news, though. Is, wait, are we sharing that news on the pod? I guess I can share that news. I am taking my leave from Peloton. Yeah. Um, it's been an absolutely incredible journey from start to finish. Obviously, I started as a freelancer um, and then went full time two years ago. And obviously, the company's been through a lot of changes. I've been through a lot of changes. Right. You know, um, my family, everything. So, um, yeah, I have decided to transition and start go to work for my father's company. Right. Um, the Rotom Molding Company, Rotom which we've mentioned. On the yes. Line. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of reasons and things that went, you know, thoughts that went into this. Um, For me, it just, it feels like the right time because I finally feel like I'm the best designer that I have ever been at this point. I feel like more confident than ever to sort of like, steer a design ship Mm -hmm. um so i will be the only really the only designer and creative um at my dad's company which will be a really interesting challenge because not only will it would i be tasked with industrial design and and all of that but also like graphic design website trade show okay you know it's just like a little bit of everything. Would you call yourself the chief creative officer <laughs> or chief design officer? The do, you CDO? Get a, do, you, do you get a CEO role? Do you get a C-suite role? I I think I'm just gonna I think I'm just gonna do director of design. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I am so so grateful to Peloton and to like. You know, that company has been really good to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were my con- most consistent client throughout all of my freelancing and then you know I just feel like when I joined them full-time two years ago I was kind of I think I've talked about this before but like you know working independently I think I just hit a wall where I felt like I was stagnating yeah like creatively in my confidence as in myself as a designer and I just got to work with just like some amazing talent that also like lifted me up uh, at Peloton and helped me like fully realize like who I am as a designer, what my contribution is as an individual, like yeah. as a designer. So um, yeah, it's just been like such an amazing journey and I'm, you know, I'm like, I am sad to leave that team right. and it's, it's, it's sad to leave a, a group of designers behind and, and then to be the only creative at a new company. But I feel like, you know, I, I'm certainly not going to, um, lose, lose touch with 
all the designers that I've met, like I want to stay up to speed with like the scene of design and everything. Yeah. And also just like, I don't know, probably ask a lot of designers from my past to like come and rip apart my work because <laughs> otherwise, you know, I'm not going to have that. Like, you know, I, I need to like maintain like the mentorships where I can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm always down to rip apart your work. Chase. <laughs> I'll critique you. Yeah. I mean, you know, you need it. So, uh, yeah. So it's just like, you know, and your, your dad's company's in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little, a little bit about that or? Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll be moving to Pennsylvania. Um, but still kind of in the air where yeah settling and yeah. Just got to explore. It's going to be interesting because like I, you know, I don't really know the area like through the lens of like being uh, a father and like being a part of a family, like just to go back to where I grew up and also the surrounding towns that like I barely ever explored and to see them with completely new eyes. And obviously like they've changed since I've left. So I don't know. It's going to be an interesting homecoming, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's still close to New York. You're still yeah. you're still uh, planning on coming up every once in a while. Yeah. So I, you know, I think we'll we're going to have to figure this out. But I think there will be a cadence of, you know, obviously I want to still continue the pod, and I hope you feel the same. Yeah, man. Uh, so um, I think obviously when I moved out to LA, it was a bit more uncertain what the future of the pod held. Right. held. But I think with this, like, there's, you know we could create a cadence of, of uh, like me traveling to New York and, yeah. and recording in person. Yeah. Cause I mean, I know you've been talking a little bit about it to me off the pod, but it's, you know, you've been thinking about Philly or close to Philly, you know, some area around yeah. that area. And obviously the train goes straight to Philly, um, yeah. which, you know, two hour, three hour train ride, you know, once, once a month is not but too bad. No. To come hang out with some friends and yeah. Yeah. And it just like it, it's just New York is a really hard city to leave behind because it is just like such a, it's the best city, a creative paradise in, yeah. in a lot of ways. So like to have one foot still here in, in some way to just like keep in touch with the scene. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, I'm just like, that's, that's like so invigorating about the city is like, I think we talked about this on an old episode, but it's like, it's funny because in New York, the trends come and like go before they hit the mainstream. So you're like, you're already sick of like a trend before it even hits like the mainstream of, of like design or whatever it is. And so like, yeah, it's just keeping in touch with those, those trends is, as much as you can. Cause I, you know, like the biggest fear that I have in my life is like being out of touch, you know, like being one of those, you know, I agree too. I I remember, I feel like there was so many times when I was a kid and like wanting to play video games and like my granddad or something be like, granddad, let's, let's play video games. Um, and you know, he'd be like, I don't know how to use this technology. And I'm just like, when I get old, I'm never going to be like that. But look at me. I can barely use TikTok. Kind of <laughs> yeah. I don't, that's, that's the, like, that's the thing is like, I'm probably, I probably am already out of touch. Well, here's, so I've, I've actually thought about this and this is not on our like docket, but one of the things that I've thought about is like, there's there are the designers who are constantly in touch with trend. Mm -hmm. And then there are designers who create and refine a a style or, you know, their own specific style over, you know, decades. I don't know that there's one that's better than the other, but it's like, is it better to be a designer who's trying to keep up with the trends and who's falling <laughs> falling flat? Or like, 
is it better to be a designer who sticks to a certain style and lane and just keeps refining on that? It is interesting. I mean, I think, well, I, I, there's some design news that I, I think this also kind of plays into, um, maybe we, maybe we just hop over that right quick. Yeah. Uh, so Sabine Marcellus, she's a furniture designer slash artist, does a lot of like resin work. Mm. I think she's pretty famous for like, she did like this beautiful resin bathtub. It's just a bunch of cubes and rectangles. Um, and then, you know, the, the tub is actually carved out and it looks, it looks beautiful. Um, she's, she just launched a new collection with Ikea and it looks beautiful. I'm a fan of her work. Um, a lot of like gradients going on. She has a, uh, she's pretty well known for some donut shapes. Mm. Uh, she did a donut poof for him, the mm. furniture company. Uh, I think it's called Boa or something, but everyone just calls it the donut poof, you know, <laughs> the donut ottoman. Um, you know, obviously it's just such a viral shape, just a donut. Uh, and it, it got me thinking like, is who owns shapes and kind of going back to what you're saying around is it better to be a designer that kind of finds their niche and exploits that and that becomes their thing? Like is, you know, I think even with Sabine's recent collection, she made a donut bowl for Ikea or a donut lamp for Ikea. Mm. And it's like, do you want to be known as a designer who does the donut? Or do you want to be known as like, I think about recently, I, I've been seeing a lot of Ross Lovegrove, uh, commentary where he's just going off about AI. You know, mm. he's just been full AI pilled just straight down the rabbit hole. He's just been posting AI <laughs> stuff. I think he posted something the other day that was like designers need to be using AI. If you're not using AI, you know, you're, you're done for <laughs> you should, And the comment thread was just, was just full of it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I do agree. I think there's maybe a path for both, uh, both avenues because I do think you do need to refine trends and ideas, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause if you just are always on to the next biggest thing, you know, it, it's hard to tell a, you know, it's hard to build off of a quick, you know, technology, you know, trend or whatever, whether it's AI or VR or whatever it is. Um, so there does need to be some people that sit down and say, all right, this is going to be my thing. You know, the donut's yeah. going to be my thing or the VR is going to be my thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's good. It's a good question. Cause I feel like, you know, I have a tremendous respect for somebody like Mark Newson, but I feel like his, his, uh, aesthetic is like the same, but it's been refined mm. over, you know, the course of his career. Yeah. But I, but I still think it's like, it's beautiful, like what he produces, like through his aesthetic framework. Yeah. And I wonder if it's more, I wonder if the secret is, is about your sort of like manifesto or like your sort of like driving force Yeah, rather than like, yeah, I'm the just going to pick and choose like trend yeah. here and there. It's like, like why are you using that trend? Yeah. Like what is the purpose of, of using that for um, instead of just like using it um, without, without that lens of like, how does this fit into my overall ethos? Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. I mean, I definitely feel that way with my work as well. It's, I feel like you need to have that driving force behind the the shape or the trend or whatever you're working on because if you don't then you're just gonna be you know another designer making another shape yeah Um, and that's where like with ai i think even there if you're an individual designer who's utilizing ai like if you are not if you're still if you're not filtering it through some sort of lens mm -hmm. then like your work is not I don't think it's going to be impactful, like, you know, like portfolio wide. Right. It's not going to be impactful um, because there's nothing, there's nothing like driving the decisions and the choices. Yeah. 
I like that framework a lot for AI specifically. <clears throat> I mean, you know, we've talked about it at length, but it is interesting, Ross Lovegrove, because I feel like a lot of the stuff that I see, like not all of it, but a lot of AI generated stuff just feels like love Grovian, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it Very feels organic. like this yeah. organic yeah. there. There's definitely like a segment of the AI generation. That's like generative stuff that feels super organic that like art Tuvo kind of vibe. Oh yeah. Ross Lovegrove looked at, I feel like he just like, <laughs> you just coincidentally had a technology that can replace himself. <laughs> That'd be pretty crazy if they're just like all of a sudden the world was like, Hey, we got a we got a new technology. We're calling it the James 2.0. <laughs> and you're like, nice. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, well, that's big news. I guess going back to your Peloton thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll we'll see how how it plays out. I mean, no 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 plans to, like stop the podcast or do anything no. right now. You know, maybe there might it might be a little more sporadic on how we release, but um, you know, other than that, still trucking. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um. I wanted to show off a show and tell. <laughs> this is a funny, this is, this is, uh, the minor details of design because, you know, this is probably not going to go on Instagram. So it's like something that I want to just show off on the pod. Cause that's where the, the true, the true minor details are. Um, look at this thing, James, look at it. <laughs> look at that thing, man. <laughs> so I, I'm holding up, a. uh, organizing rack that I did, I want to say hmm, it might've been before the pandemic might've been two, two and a half years ago, three years ago, um, for this, uh, Scandinavian company called Norwex. They do a lot of really nice cleaning supplies. Um, and they reached out to me to do this cleaning rack that held all their mops and their, uh, cleaning supplies and things. Um, you can look it up if you want. Um, and I did it on a project fee basis. Um, that was like a pretty straightforward project. Nothing too, uh, you know, I wouldn't say like difficult. And you know, there's a few revisions here or there. Um, but, you know, pretty clean, pretty straightforward. Um, sent over the final 3D model and, you know, just said, hey, if you ever need any updates, let me know. Um, and then... You know, the pandemic hit. I don't know. There's a lot of things going on with supply chain and stuff. So I had just kind of forgotten about it. Um, and then I get an email like a, a week ago that was like, hey, the project's finished. You, <laughs> would you like a sample? And I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, and I finally got in the mail just today as we're recording. And I'm just, nice. I open it up and the craziest thing happened. It's exactly how I designed it. <laughs> that never happens, especially especially as a freelancer, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, can you believe it? I just sent the three D model away, and it came back exactly how I three D modeled it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm actually pretty pleased with it. It's it's kind of um, you know, it's made out of sheet metal. These kind of strips of sheet metal that are bent around, um, and then you know, there's three little shelves with these sheet metal kind of, um, I don't know, railings on it. So you can put your bottles in here yeah. and then in between the shelves, little notches for the mop to hang on. Of course, three, I would say three compartments, three compartments. Like it's almost as if you split one shelf yeah. into three compartments. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's a bunch of little hooks pretty much everywhere. So you can hang as many rags and, uh, cleaning supplies as you want. Little I, mop thing, little mop pads. Let me um, interrogate I'm you ready on, on some of the details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is there anything within their brand that led you to the, sort of these like three bold um, strips? The well, obviously they're you know a Scandinavian brand, and I wanted to do something pretty modern for them. Um, they don't have a. Sh I wouldn't say they have a really strong design language. A lot of their stuff, some other stuff, is off the shelf. Um, you know, they hired a new product development team and that's when I got, you know, mm -hmm. hired on of like, oh, hey, we'd love to, you know, actually put a bit more design thought into some of these products. Um, and I certainly had proposed, like I said, hey, I would love to do a full product line for you guys and make it all cohesive. Um, and they said, well, I'm not sure we're, we, we're ready for that right now, but mm. maybe in the future. Um, yeah. And so this was the immediate need. They said, we need this product right now. This is something that we really want to work on is this organizing rack. Um, and so, yeah, I, I felt like the three kind of 
railings, which is a really strong aesthetic, very mm-hmm. like clean, modern, and you know, just felt very fitting. And a nice bamboo kind of shelf there. Yeah. I just I was just so surprised when I opened up the box this morning of like I was like, wait, is this exactly my <laughs> measurements? This is, is my exact three D model that they made. <laughs> um yeah. Which, you know, I, even then I'm almost questioning it. Like, I, did the factory not say, <laughs> we could have done this better, you know? Like, <laughs> usually the factory will cut costs <clears throat> somewhere, but it's just like, I feel like it's even the right gauge of material I expect and everything. Yeah. Well, I feel like with, I feel like with wood and sheet metal, like, I feel like they're, a designer could, could and can theoretically, like, do a lot of, that themselves like there's not yeah there's not a lot that's like mysterious about those like bent strips of sheet metal like a c i guess a cnc piece of wood um but yeah like i don't know i think i think there's certain processes that like a designer can grasp pretty early in their career as to like this is probably this will probably work this probably won't work yeah um, but yeah. it is, it is like often of like very delightful surprise that there's like literally no manufacturer's comments right. on like what it is you designed. Like I'll, like I'll even say this. So I designed this top strip here. I think all the strips I want to say are 25 millimeters. Um, and I was assuming that they would just get a strip of sheet metal that was already that length, you know, and maybe if they didn't have 25, they would use 30 or 26 or mm. whatever dimension they had um, laying around and just use that dimension and change it a little bit. Um, but then I see these tabs up here where you can screw it into the to the wall and those are still connected to the strip metal sheet. Mm. So they must have laser cut it, mm. you know? Because this doesn't come standard. Or stamped? No. Uh, I mean, this would be a really long sheet. Well, that could be stamped actually. It's I guess there's a seam right here on the sides. And then you also have these like cutaways here between the shelves. Yeah. This sort of like drop down. Yeah, because the mop has a little like hanging little knob on it. Do you want me to go grab the mop so you can demonstrate? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. It was just like a a delightful surprise that I'm almost like questioning like maybe they should. Maybe I was like. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It's so, I mean, this is, as an industrial designer, this is the moment that you right. live for. Yeah. It's the, it's the true process right there. Yeah. The, the dream. Very cool. Um, also been working on the hay bale sofa. I just bought a bunch of foam to make a real prototype. Yeah. Which maybe by the time you're listening, you've probably already seen. But um, I do have a funny story. You want to hear this story? I, I, I would love to hear a funny story, Nick. <laughs> uh, so I bought a bunch of, I guess, polyurethane foam. And got enough to do, I believe, 13, wait, five, five, three. Yeah, so 13 inches by 13 inches. That's kind of the dimension of the foam block. And I need to cut it somehow. Um, and putting a knife through like 13 inches of foam is, I, I don't know, I, I, you can't use an X-Acto knife, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to cut them individually. There's like a few strips that I can cut down. But um, I was like Googling, how do you cut foam? Apparently there's foam cutters that are like $500. Mm. These big kind of, I almost, they almost remind me of a uh, hedge trimmers. Mm. You know, they're like electric and you could just like carve foam. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like I was watching a YouTube video and they're like, so you can either buy these $500 trimmers or you can use a bread knife. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, of course I'm going to buy a bread knife. Cause I'm not going to spend $500 to cut a one prototype of foam. Um, <laughs> So I was like, okay, you know, I, I could order a bread knife on Amazon, but I was like, I, I'll just, I want to cut foam today. So I'll walk around and find a, a bread knife. And in New York, you know, you have the dollar stores. You can go walk in. They just have all kinds of dollar store crap. Um, couldn't find a bread knife. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they, a lot of them didn't have, uh, I think some of them have like kitchen knives just Mm -hmm. like chef's knives or paring knives. Um, I went to a few stores and then I went to this place called MTV, (laughs) uh, right, right in Greenpoint. And, um, it was this old school appliance store, Mm -hmm. 
packed to the brim with like old appliances and stuff. Like if it felt borderline pawn shop, like mm. with counter and uh, everything. And I walk in and this guy is completely bald, except he has his f- a little like toupee. I don't know. What's a toupee? Does a toupee a thing? Is that yeah. hairstyle? Yeah. The toupee is like a, a fake piece of hair like that goes on top yeah okay it was that except it was maybe like this big like uh i don't know like a size of a post-it note yeah and it was just on the front um (laughs) and he looked like the old like an 80s like car salesman yeah that was the vibe like he had a suit on like this was his store this was his like in livelihood I, I, i think he was probably polish that's the neighborhood that we're in um and it was just like such a vibe. Um, and so I walk in and I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm looking for a bread knife. Do you guys have anything? And so he, he walks around the store. Of course, everything's just stacked piled high in New York. And finally digs through some boxes, finds this whole set of knives. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I, you know, I just need one knife. I don't want to buy a whole set of kitchen knives. Yeah. Uh, there was a bread knife in it. Um, and he's like, oh, no, I'll just open it up and sell you one. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is the classic New York experience. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I, he said like $7 and I gave him $7 cash. He yeah. ripped open the box, gave me the bread knife. I about walked out with the bread knife on the street. And he's like, wait, 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 let me put it in a bag for you. So you don't look like a psychopath. <laughs> Have you tried um, it? Yeah, it works great. Uh, I haven't, I did, a, I did a test cut. I haven't cut the actual foam yet. Yeah. But I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, I, I will have. Um, yeah, I know that's my updates. Whether well, I'm trying to think, if there's other things going on. The magic of New York. Um, yeah, you know, it's the it's those moments that's just like wow. <laughs> Walking out of that store of like, I could have bought this on Amazon, but now I have a great story. Yeah, <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs> um. So yeah, let's see. Should we do a little design news? Yeah, let's do it. Um. All right, this one was kind of funny. You know, we've been on Twitter a bit, and I saw this tweet pop up. This is from Andreas uh, Markadalen. Andreas is the, I believe, chief creative off, chief creative officer, global chief creative officer of Frog Design. Um, you know, I never talked to him. He seems like a cool guy. Um, he had met. He had put this tweet out, and it says. The biggest mystery of the past decade is teenage engineering not being a quai hired by Fang and not being able to scale as a challenger brand in the mainstream lifestyle tech. Guess they could have and chose not to. A missed opportunity, no less. And this tweet went viral. It got 2 million views. Um, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I'm not here to, to throw shade at Andreas, I understand his sentiment of we all love teenage engineering and, and want and wish their products were everywhere. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people took that as like uh, Andreas wanted teenage engineering to kind of sell out and like be as big as Apple or sell to a, a big fang company. Um, but what is what is a fang? Well, this is a terrible acronym. I wish they would change it. Fang is a uh, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Oh. I feel like half of the, I mean, obviously Facebook's now called Meta. Uh, Google's technically Alphabet. You know, Netflix, I wouldn't even consider like a relevant, you know, in those. It's hardware not a big, player. It's not a big tech company. Um, Do they, does Netflix have any hardware? I don't know. I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure they've probably dabbled in yeah. some development stage. Um, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, TV companies that have a Netflix button on their remote, but that's like the extent <laughs> that that Netflix has a hardware, has it, any hardware. I guess I think of like, um, what's the thing you plug into Google play or like, yeah. uh, Roku. Right. I don't know if Netflix ever did something like that. I don't think so. I mean, always Spotify say- has, has one piece of hardware, strangely oh. enough. Oh, the car player thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I feel like I've seen people because that was free. Could you get one for free? Can you? Or maybe it was like ten bucks or something. It was yeah. really cheap. Yeah, I think they kind of did the same plan as because you could get like a Google Home for free. Oh, right? huh. I don't know. I can't remember. <clears throat> um, but 
Yeah, I, I think this tweet was funny because one, it spurred this, it, you know, Twitter's famous for, you know, people just hopping on any like t- small mistake. But, um, you know, it made people think like, why isn't teenage engineering a more mainstream brand? Um, and it made me think about the aesthetic. Like, I wonder if their aesthetic is not mainstreamable. Um, mm. It's just, it's such this boxy look and it's a very, it's more of a utilitarian, utilitarian, futuristic look Mm. that doesn't appeal to the masses as much. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I mean, I think all industrial designers love teenage engineering probably for the reason that it's like, obviously we all love the aesthetic but we also love the fact that it's our like our like indie rock mm. brand or something that and the the sort of like unpredictability of what they're going to work on next is really exciting like the people that they're going to partner with the other small companies like yeah. it just i mean to me funny enough like it almost feels like frog in the early days yeah. of like working with, I mean, you know, working with Apple at the time that frog did, I mean, I guess they were like, they were gaining steam, but they were kind of a startup at that point. It's like, and so teenage engineering, they are, um, aiding smaller companies. I mean, they're also doing stuff with like I- I- Ikea, mm-hmm. Yeah, they did the speaker collection, was which was definitely more ma- mass. I mean, yeah. it was hard to find those speakers. I think I went to Ikea like four times. Yeah. I have the full set of that whole collection. Really? Yeah. Um, and someone told me recently that that stuff is, you know, super uh, going for really high, uh, selling for really high yeah. on uh, eBay now. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I don't know, is teenage engineering like... I feel like they have sort of gotten mainstreamed in some way. I mean, like... You know, Kanye West dropped their name in an interview, like, and and he know. did. He was working on that uh, the stem, stem player, yeah, and eventually went over to Kano, um, yeah, which is Kano's also doing cool things, yeah. Um, uh, I will say the the my response to Andreas because you know I've been tweeting too. I I had a response of teenage engineering feels like. Steve's Apple era. Mm. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. Is it what it's this new exciting it's like I want to say the most uh if not one of the most exciting brands tech in, brands in for tech sure, yeah. right now. Um and so I think that's also why a lot of people uh took up some some beef with this tweet of like we don't want teenage engineering to get acquired, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we want it to be the cool underdog. Right. We don't want it to be mainstream. Um, yeah, there was also a note too. I think the founders of teen, teenage engineering had worked on um, a pretty well-known brand. I forget what it was before teen, teenage engineering had mm. had done the kind of growth uh, startup lifestyle of grow fast, sell the company. Um, and so, with teenage engineering, they did not want to do that. And mm. I think even in uh, some manifesto or blog or interview, they're talking about, yeah, we're, we're Teenage engineering is not a growth company. You know, right. we're not taking on, you know, millions of dollars of uh, investing, you know, startup money to just grow the company and then sell. Yeah. It's much more of a, you know, company to create beautiful objects around a, you know, lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's a very deliberate choice not to, because if they were to be acquired by another company, then they would be at the behest of that company to do work for them Mm -hmm. instead of, yeah, like teenage engineering feels like, you know, the, the best industrial designers in the world are just working on passion projects and releasing them, you know, and it like, that's what's so exciting about it is like, I think that is like palpable that the products that are being made are like things that they, wanted to work on that they really enjoyed working on and like, you know, so I think that 
that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just something that doesn't get discussed a lot or enough, maybe in my opinion. It's like a lot of people, I guess in the entrepreneur space, it feels like the path is, you know, have a great idea, get millions of dollars in funding, sell your business. I just don't think the lifestyle business is talked about as much where it's, hey, you know, maybe you don't need funding. Maybe you start small, grow a little bit, and re- maintain control. Um, and I also, I, I think in my tweet, I had also mentioned, like, I don't think teenage engineering could get to where they are, you know, with funding. They mm-hmm. wouldn't have control. You know, I think the the benefit of not giving away your company is that you maintain creative control over yeah. every single detail, yeah. you know, and there's no compromises, you know, there's everything is thought through. If you want to spend an extra couple months to work on, you know, a detail to get it right, you know, you're not pressured by, you know, VCs or whatever to get it out there quick. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the only compromise and sort of constraint that they have is it, like, I would say in the beginning was just starting out, starting out and like what, what did they have access to like in terms of resources? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and that was also part of what I was saying too. It's like, it takes time to do yeah. it that way. It yeah. just, it's going to be a long, much longer process. Right. Um, I know I've seen Jeff Sheldon, the founder of Ogmunk, like kind of talk about this, that there's, there are so many companies that just like go for broke. Like they, they just, you know, they do the VC startup thing and it's just like his approach with Ugmunk has been just like, like slow and steady and sustainable Mm -hmm. of just like, you know, just, and, and I, I like very much admire the company that he's built because it seems like, yeah, he has, he has a lot of creative control and like it is it's his vision and yeah it's just like what is what's the project that he's interested in pursuing next and like he doesn't have you know it's just like things a company can a startup can get bloated so easily and you just look around the room and you're like what do all these people do? (laughs) And like, are they really adding to like, to like what this company is and what it could be? And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll also say like, obviously building and running a startup is no easy feat either. No, Um, it's it's just different. It's different. Um, I I do think I, I am interested to see the future of businesses like startup businesses, you know, especially in the design field, um, in the next five years or so, I feel like now that, you know, in the past five years, pre pandemic, and then kind of during pandemic, we obviously saw a ton of, you know, money sloshing around where people could just get funded left and right for whatever startup idea they had that seems to have dried up. So it'll be interesting to see if there's more of a return to this, you know, slow build, more control, just more being more diligent and I don't know, cutting some of the slack out. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're in the middle of the, I think I said this in a previous podcast, what Scott Galloway calls the Patagonia vest recession of like, (laughs) I mean, a lot of, a lot of tech companies did have just a ton of bloat in terms of the, the amount of employees that they hired. Right. And, and a lot of people got laid off, which I think is going to be interesting because who of those employees is going to be starting a new company? Yeah. You know, like that, like that kind of mass layoff, I think like could potentially lead to like be the start of the next right. wave. Yeah. Because there's probably, a, you know, a handful of those people who have, you know, worked in tech for a long time, have a good chunk of cash to kind of start their own passion project. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we'll see more of those kind of lifestyle brands that just grow slow and more, more considered. Yeah. Um, got a good topic of the week here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> should we start off with, um, the tweet that maybe spurred it? 
Which which tweet? Well, so uh, you know, the topic of the week is uh, how our process has evolved oh, over time. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, and obviously, this is something we've talked about a good bit, but I think it's a funny thing because obviously, I feel like a lot's happened in the past year or so, just in terms of design processes and stuff. Um, I had, I was doing a presentation the other day. Um, over Zoom, as I feel like most people do nowadays, do a lot of video calls. Even if you have a full-time job, you're probably, you know, maybe working part-time on occasion or traveling. And presenting uh, design refinements, new proposals for different details. And while we're discussing the changes of this, I was working on a chair design, and um, while we're discussing like how we should fix this one detail or change this one detail, you know, we start to get in, you know, a debate around like, oh, well, this detail is better than this detail and aesthetically or, mm. or feasibly, you know, wh which one's better and just kind of your normal design meeting. And so I start just, you know, I'm, I'm on Zoom. I start just Googling stuff, sharing my screen saying like, well, you know, you know, this famous chair does it this way. And maybe we could do, mm. you know, an edge detail similar for structure and things like that. Um, so I just start like, you know, screenshotting images, dragging it into Google Slides, you know, during yeah. the meeting while we're, while we're talking. Yeah. And I get out like the pen tool in Google Slides and start like drawing lines on the images. <laughs> or like I, I take the image and I crop half of it and then put another image underneath. So it's like combining mix and mash, yeah. mashing two images together. Um, and it got me thinking about this idea of when we were in school, we were taught to sketch quickly and confidently mm -hmm. uh, with pen, you know, the, you know, there's many reasons for that, but one of the reasons was so that if you're ever in a meeting, you can get up on the whiteboard and sketch out a concept in front of everybody mm -hmm. or sketch out a solution. Yeah. Um, and it just, it was such this funny realization of that scenario rarely ever happens nowadays. Mm. And the scenario that just happened with Google slides would be the more common scenario. Mm. Uh, well, I think it depends. depends I, on if you're in person or, or yeah, like, Zoom you know, at Peloton, we're like constantly whiteboarding cause we're all together in the yeah. same room. But yeah, I mean, certainly during like the whole pandemic, all the zoom calls and, you know, obviously with what you're doing, which is like, you have clients all over the world. So, uh, yeah, I think like, well, I mean, the thing that it, that it comes back to is just that, like, obviously images are really powerful, especially, especially when you're working with people of different backgrounds, like worldwide, like the image is what translates most of what you're trying to say more than anything else. Right. So like being able to like, being able to access your, you know, like image creation, whatever that looks like, like photo collaging or drawing in Zoom, yeah. like drawing with the pen tool in Zoom, which I love to do. <laughs> um, like that's, it's just, it is just still so powerful. I mean, yeah, I, like I love, obviously like I love, finding programs that are like not meant to be sketching programs right. and like the king you're the, note, <laughs> you're the iphone them. note sketcher king yeah and you don't wait have we talked about your sync we've probably talked about the sync it's oh true. my <laughs> I, I think we have talked about it but i i, I want to update that because you showed me that the other day let's tell everyone how many your in, how many likes your instagram post has i think i don't have my phone it's charging over there but i think right now it's like 24,000 likes, which just like, <clears throat> it's like bad for my mental health. How, how good that post is doing. <laughs> You're like, I've peaked. It's over. Cause it's like, it's just literally 24,000 likes. Insane. It, that is for, for, um, for reference for, you know, like my best post prior to that 
like got 22,000 less likes than that, <laughs> than that post. It's like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand it at all. Actually, it's funny. One this of was sketched in the notes app, right? Was that? Yeah. Time? Oh yeah. Yeah. iPhone notes sketch got 22,000. <laughs> It's funny because I told I told uh, an engineer that I that I work with about this post, and like a week later, she came in. She was like, "James, the funniest thing happened." I was just like, I had my Instagram out, and I think she was just like, she maybe had her like saved posts up or something, mm -hmm. and her husband was like, "Wait, what's that?" and pointed at the sync <laughs> post. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I don't understand it. And it's like, it's just such a, cause it's like that to millions. Cause it's, you know, it's gotten viewed more times than that too. It's like that to, to a million people is like the broadest representation of my work of it's anything defining, I've done. Defining work. Oh my God. So ridiculous. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's cool. I also have to give Allison some props because I had a post for the sync and sh and she was like, that's not very good. Wait, what was the original? <clears throat> it was just like, like three syncs, like in perspective. Okay. And then I was just like, oh, fine. Like I'm just going to do a bunch of orthographics. It's crazy. Cause like also some of my other, some, some other of my like best posts have been side side view sketches. Interesting. It's just like, why am I drawing in perspective? anymore what's the point well side view is like the simplest way to convey yeah but um no i love like there there's also back to zoom sketching there's like an engineer that i've worked with that like he mastered like using the shapes in zoom oh, so yeah. he'll just do like like really quick like section views of like everything coming together but just with like the just, shape tools yeah and i'm like this is awesome this is so cool yeah, so I don't know. I, I think the thought about that made me think they should start teaching how to draw in Google Slides, you know, <laughs> or how to draw on Zoom yeah. in school. Yeah, I, I wonder, uh, I wonder like how, like how kids collaborated because there were, there was a part, period of time where I feel like kids who were doing ID were not in school uh, during the pandemic yeah. and I don't know if they had group projects and I'm curious like <laughs> what they figured out. Yeah. But it would be cool to just like, we just need to have a conference of just like pandemic era, like innovations and design process yeah. or something. Cause some of those things have like lived on, you know? Yeah. It's, I feel like pre pre pandemic. I mean, I guess there was definitely still a lot of, you know, zoom calls, but there was an era where there wasn't, you didn't really do zoom calls, you know, yeah. there was, it was just, wasn't super speedy and, you know, I would say early, yeah. you know, 20, 20, I don't know, 16, 2017, like, I don't know, that just wasn't a thing really. Um, yeah, I, I heard, um, one of my, uh, our Virginia Tech alumni, uh, Jonathan Kim, he works at Shopify and, and, and he was, he was being interviewed and, um, he said that the, they bought everybody on the ID team, 3d printers, like for their, for their homes yeah. so that they could like review things. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just, I, I mean, think, that, that's another, yeah, we can dive into that whole thing too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in school and maybe this is just us old designers talking now because like, <laughs> in school, when you wanted a physical prototype, you had to carve it out of foam, make it out of wood, get your hands dirty. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how you guys had, I don't know what your access was to 3D printers. At SCAD, we obviously had 3D printers, but you had to pay for it and everyone's broke college kid. Um, but nowadays, you're right. I think it's just like, why why carve stuff out of foam anymore? Mm. Uh, yeah. Which is a interesting thing to dive into as well because I do think there's some merit there of feeling forms with your hands yeah, uh, and shaving like building forms with your hands um, obviously when you 3D print something you can feel it 
and it's just much harder to kind of shape it after the fact. Um, yeah. Well, that's why I've, I've always like enjoyed sort of a hybrid approach of like you print something, but then you like pack clay or something on top mm. of it to just, just like, um, but yeah, no, I, I wonder like, I, I do think that that was significant to like have just have the experience in school. Cause that was the last time I had the experience of like carving right. something and feeling it. And like, I wonder how that fed into my CAD and 3d generation and like also just ability to like perceive things in three dimensions and be able to like sketch, sketch it by yeah. having like a model right there. Like I, yeah, I wonder, um, it makes me also think, I think it's either Pratt or RISD has the famous project where the students carve out a plaster, mm. you know, they carve and it's not even, um, uh, designed products. It's just a sculpture. Mm -hmm. It's purely a sculptural form, uh, project of just creating a shape. That's just a beautiful form. Yeah. Um, but I guess, in my thinking about this topic, like aside from the tools, mm -hmm. what about your process do you think has changed since school? Well, the one thing that's been huge for me recently is uh, understanding story. Mm. I And the funny thing is, is that in school, it was a big point that a professor professors would make a lot of times like they would always tell us like hey what you know tell us this tell us a story yeah you should be a, a storyteller as a designer and being a fresh you know design kid you know looking on layman i don't even know if we had layman to be honest <laughs> we had course 77 yeah and and just being like um well i just want to make a cool thing you know yeah, i yeah, just yeah. want to make something that looks cool um which definitely was like pretty much the thought process for a lot of my work at the beginning. Obviously I, I think it was looks cool and you know, the interaction, the playfulness, the familiar familiarity. Um, there was kind of a lot of that going into my work. Um, but now I feel as I've kind of matured as a designer, it, I understand the story side a lot more. I understand what the professors were getting at. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I, I can't remember if we talked about it. I'm sure we did, but it, it, I was talking to someone on the Discord or, or talking about the story aspect. Um, and I was starting to ask, um, I think a designer had submitted a design. And I was like, well, what's the story? What's mm -hmm. the concept? And it's kind of spurred this conversation around you know, what is a design story? Is it okay to come up with a story after you do the design? Mm -hmm. um, is it fake to do that? Um, and I think it's completely fine to design something cool and then come up with a story around it. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think it's, I think a lot of times there's also this taboo thing of, uh, I want to say, there, sh there should be a name for this, but um, maybe I want to call it like back sketching, mm -hmm. where you come up with an idea like oh, really, yeah. really rough and just do thumbnails and 3D print it. And then you go back after you came up with the idea and sketch it. Right. Um, totally. And, you know, I think it, it feels a little bit like taboo and fake to do that. But thinking about it from a story perspective, I think it's perfectly, perfectly fine to say, hey, I was working on this idea. It just kind of came to me. And um, I almost want to say the hay bale stuff was kind of like that where... I was working on this idea, thinking about modularity. It kind of formed together. I was like, oh, I like straps. You know, I could strap this a bunch of foams together, <laughs> a bunch of foam blocks together. And then it kind of came to me the story of, oh, it kind of feels like, you know, you could make, it, it kind of reminds me of hay bales because hay bales have twine that kind of bunch up a bunch of hay. And then I can even build out that more. It has a, even a personal story to it because we had a family farm growing up and we'd always visit and we'd play in the hayloft as you know, w with me and my cousins and everything. Um, so I really built out the story after that. It wasn't like, 
I was sitting there thinking, reminiscing about my childhood and saying, you know, oh, you know, hay bales, that could be cool. Let me design something from hay bales. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's something that's changed about my process a lot. It's mm-hmm. just telling that story um, and understanding the value of that, that I, that we were taught in school, but I just, I think me and most of my peers were just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let's just design something cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think like, I think there's definitely this. Th- Did you have, well, I mean, I don't know if you wanted to respond to the story aspect. Yeah, no, I definitely, that's like been something that I have been working on a lot. I mean, lot. I want to say you're the story king, to be honest. I feel like you were much you were a big influence on me in terms of story. I feel like a lot of stuff we worked on with um, Control Labs, Mm -hmm. you were very story-driven about it, where I was like, just kind of detailed, you know, Mm. let's make a cool thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, seeing you work on that stuff and saying, well, this detail means this thing. And it doesn't even have to be um, anything, like kind of what we're saying, it doesn't have to be like, we did the detail because of the story, it's, we designed a cool detail. Let's build a story around it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't think it matters when, like, if you have the story first or you come to the story later, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I was always sort of searching for the story and, and at times feeling like, cause when I went to school, like the style of education that I got was very like research heavy of like you do your research Mm. to arrive at the problem to solve and then you solve it. So it was very like linear, like mathematical, like you did this to get to here, to get to this, to get to here. Mm -hmm. And like it wasn't until later on in school that like, that I really was like really getting into aesthetics. Like I was always interested in them, but I then became like really passionate about aesthetics. Cause I like, I think, I don't know. I feel like people get really cringy about aesthetics. Like some, or, or some people do. And how so like, it's like, just, uh, uh, kind of vapid. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I think, I think it can be seen as vapid. I think, like people think that that what you're doing needs to do these things right. before the world. Yeah, before yeah. The, it's beautiful. I got the vibe. Mm-hmm. And um, I think like if designers if designers had like a what's the doctor's oath that they take? Uh, Hippocratic oath. Yeah. If, do no if, harm. Yeah. Designers. I mean, sure. Do no harm. But I also think like, do no ugly. Like (laughs) it's, it's, uh, I think like there's such a bold statement. James. (laughs) I don't know if I would take that. (laughs) There's, there's such a, there's something so powerful about aesthetics and, and especially when like I, in my mind, when aesthetics are grounded into some sort of like narrative, like, um, and so, Yeah. And I, but I do think that like, I think in general in our society at the current moment, we put so much emphasis on like words and language and story that like, we don't like, that's why we think like, oh, we need to have the language to talk about something first before we can have the thing that it resulted in. But it's actually like, I think you follow, you follow your intuition and then, and then the story can get pulled out of mm-hmm. like out of that you know intuitive exploration. Hundred um, percent. But yeah, I mean, I think I think just like giving yourself a framework to again, like what we were talking about earlier, you push you push past a trend, you like push through a trend to find something that like is is meaningful to what you're designing. And not just to like fit into the current cultural portfolio of like the trend, you know? I Uh, mean, I think even 
going along this storyline, it feels even more important. I know we've reiterated this on pretty much every episode now, but that aspect of design feels almost the most important now with all these technologies kind of converging on democratic design, right? It's like you have AI now, anyone can come up with an image. You have VR, you can easily 3D model stuff. You have, you know, rendering software like Keyshot and plenty of other, like Blender's free. Keyshot is just so simple to just drag and drop, make things look super realistic. It's just all those tools of our, of our process have just become so good and so quick that anyone can make a shape mm-hmm. and make a pretty image. Right. And, you know, that really leaves us with like that one last thing. Yeah. Of what are you actually trying to say? Right. And I, and I do like, even though I was very story obsessed before this moment, before this point, like when I met McKay Nelson and he told me about his process, like where he was, he would sit down and write about Mm. what he was going to design. Like that's when it sort of like unlocked everything for me. And that's where like at Peloton, I felt like, I like hit a stride of just like, like coming up with unique um, aesthetic solutions to things through through like a uh, like a storytelling framework um, using the like the industrial design language principles that we like created like all of these things to to like go into like hey I chose to make this shape. And it's not just arbitrary. Like it is beautiful, but it's not arbitrary. Mm-hmm. It fits into like a larger story here. And that story doesn't necessarily have to be functional. And in fact, like, like, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the, like the whole, I don't know, the whole form follows function discourse. It's just like, what? Should, we, should we say form follows story? Is that, the, <laughs> is that the new vibe? So, something like that. <laughs> I just like, I think we've lost we've lost a lot from like the like the like the Art Deco days mm-hmm. of just like and, and even and so many aesthetic movements before that but like like to me Art Deco is like one of the greatest like contemporary design architecture movements because not only was it future facing but it was like ornate and optimistic like it had all these things tied into it and 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 just like yeah i don't know i don't know where i'm going and where i started (laughs) but (laughs) no i like it i mean you know we're we're spurring on art tuvo as you like to say (laughs) with ai and all this vr stuff yeah Um, i mean i there's there's a lot of things i feel like have changed i certainly in the in the technical tools have changed, but I, I like your question of process. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the, the only other thing I could really think of is this is like a, just a silly little thing that I remember in school. I remember this, this kid wanted to do ski goggles and he wanted to have like the fuzzy foam that like wrapped around your eyes, mm-hmm. uh, in his rendering, key shot rendering. And the professor was like, Oh, you know, Keyshot can't do that. Nobody can do that. That's that's impossible to do, to do. You know, you can't add foam in Keyshot. You know, or, or fuzz in Keyshot. And look at us now. <laughs> look at us now. They got all the tools. So yeah. just you know, I feel like the the maybe the last statement of this this episode is just like, where will we be in another five years? You know, in terms of our process. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to predict, but yeah, it's interesting. I. I just like, I think that when you're in school, oftentimes the the projects and the prompts are almost like as if you are like a, like a startup, like you're, you're coming up with like your pitch Mm. and your thing. Like, and it's, it's almost like very entrepreneurial in a way, but like really the projects that will translate the most to like what, what people are going to end up doing is like, like here is, here are the project requirements. Here's what you're designing. Like that's what, that's most of what people end up having to do professionally is like, 
you're not going to your superiors telling them like, here's the problem that we're going to solve. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very different. And so like, I feel like you have to, you have to mold your, your process around that. And, and that may be like sort of foreign to some students is that like, yeah, a lot of things are defined for you. And then how do you, how do you, how do you find, I, I don't know. How do you find the, the, the story, within. the story within that? Yeah, yeah I guess. Um, that was good. Yeah. Let us, if you, if you <laughs> I think all, it was a bit scatterbrained, but well, I, it was good. No, I, I like, <laughs> I, I, I was really into this episode, but, uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's so funny. Like how you can, like, I feel like sometimes we have totally different perceptions yeah, yeah. about so like we'll end episode, how an episode goes and you'll be like, Oh, that was a great episode. I'm like, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> and then vice versa. I, I also feel like every time I listen back to the recording, I'm like, Oh, that wasn't too bad. Yeah. It yeah, always yeah. feels worse. <laughs> you know, after you finish recording. And then when you listen back, it's like, ah, it's not bad. Oh God. If they were as incoherent as like they are in my mind, they're like, I'm going to Pennsylvania and I'm never coming back to New York. Just go into the woods. <laughs> um, if you all have any insights or thoughts around how your process has evolved over the, the many years or the several years that you've been a designer, let us know. Email us at myrdetailspodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you hear, if you have any design questions, uh, you can email us as well. I think we're going to start doing question episodes. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can curate a bunch of questions and just do a full episode of questions. Um, so if you want to be included in that, send in a question and yeah, I think that's it. As always, I'm Nick. I'm James. Peace. Later.